Good morning. Welcome to a Tuesday. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM, booming into Manchester and beyond. I was uh, doing some driving yesterday in New Boston, booming into New Boston as well. And uh, nhtalkradio.com streaming around the world and around the clock. And uh, this morning, we welcome into our plush but not overly ostentatious WKXL studios, Christopher Maidment. And uh, Chris, welcome back. Great to have you with us. It's always great to be here, Ken. Thanks for having me this morning. Chris is a, a political activist and a former journalist. It, it's not like uh, being in the military. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, once a journalist, always a journalist, right? Well, You've always got the journalist soul inside you. I'm a, a recovering journalist. A recovering, okay, a recovering journalist. All right, I like that. Recovering journalist uh, Christopher Maidment uh, is with us here today on uh, Kale and Company. Uh, he also raises dogs. Dogs and, you, you, and cats and, and chickens and, and pigs, the whole, the, the, whole the whole thing. The whole setup. The whole thing. And uh, I, I know uh, one of your dogs just had a, a big litter. Yeah, nine beautiful golden retriever puppies. Isn't that something? It's it's something. The kids love it. I'll bet. Yeah, yeah. Until I'll... until they're old enough to jump on them and knock them over all over the house, and then they're like, you know, mm, wow. we could do without this. Nine goldens, and I, I saw a picture of them on uh, on Facebook. They're all very cute right now, and and goldens are very beautiful dogs to begin with. But just seeing those little goldens surrounding their mother, it's a great great shot. But. Uh, you know, you have the chickens, you got the cats, you got the kids. Wow, you're a busy guy. I, I couldn't do it without my wife. I'll tell you, man. I don't know how she does it all day long <laughs> with 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 everything going on in our tiny little house. At least we have land, so the kids, you know, the kids and the dogs go outside and play most of the day. And but, whew. yeah. Well, we have the uh, you know this may be news to some people, but we have a primary coming up, which is two weeks. From today. Two weeks from today. Two weeks from today, we have a primary, and, uh, you know, we have a lot of uh, a lot of seats on the line, uh, locally and uh, nationally. Uh, so what do you think the turnout? If you were to guess what the primary turnout in New Hampshire on September 13th is going to be, Christopher Maidment, uh, what do you think it's going to be? Well, all indications say it should be a strong year, a lot of turnout. Very, people are motivated. Um, you see the stuff going on all around the world here in the United States, even here in New Hampshire. That's going to drive folks to the polls. So I'm, I won't guess on, on what number. I'm not as good as Bill Gardner is at that. You know, he used to, you know, pin the tail he on the did. donkey yeah. just about every time. Yeah, he did. Uh, so if you want to know an exact prediction, give him a call. I'm sure yeah. he'll. I'm sure he'll be happy to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but it's, it'll be a strong year. You know, by all indications, uh, the Republicans tend to have the motivation advantage. Uh, Republicans, you know, of course, when when Democrats win nationally at the midterm, the next time the Republicans turn out in bigger numbers, they're a little bit more motivated. Um, but with with things happening happening nationally, with some certain Supreme Court decisions and certain other factors, yeah. uh, the Democrats have become more motivated as of late. They're they're trending to be more motivated coming towards November. So. Uh, as we go into our primary two weeks from today, I expect to see a, a really large turnout with a lot of motivated voters. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, several months ago, everyone was talking about at the midterms, a, a huge red wave was going to take place uh, in Congress. And uh, that talk uh, has somewhat dissipated over the last several months. 
It, it certainly has. Um, you know, the generic ballot test that the, all these polls do nationally and, and in-state, uh, the advantage has has come down. Republicans were leading by a number of percentage points, which is a, a very strong indicator that a red wave would be coming. But those numbers have come back. Uh, Democrats have, have come neck and neck on the generic ballot test. Uh, and nationally, what that means is it's, it probably still would mean a pickup for Republicans in the House. It probably means Republicans would take the House. They only have a five or six seat disadvantage yep. right now. Uh, but in the Senate, there's a lot of key races, including here in New Hampshire. Um, and Republicans need to pick up one seat to take advantage of the Senate. But it, that's anybody's that's anybody's guess what could happen. I mean, there's Georgia, there's Pennsylvania, there's Ohio, there's here in New Hampshire. And and trying to trying to you know, which way is that going to go? You you could you tell me. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't. That's why we have people like you uh, on on the radio. But it is going to be a very in, intriguing uh, Republican primary for Senate two weeks from today. And and right now in the latest uh, Saint Anselm College poll, uh, General Bolduck Don Bolduck uh, had a pretty substantial lead over his uh, runner up Chuck Morse. Uh, and very intriguing race there. Uh, how do you see that one playing out? Because there are other challengers in the field who uh, didn't really even come close to the numbers of uh, General Bolduck or Senator Morse. But uh, how do you see that one playing out? Well, General Bolduck has been running in a Republican primary for coming on three and a half years now. Yeah. So he's, you know, with the exception of the, the time between the primary and the general in 2020, he's been talking to Republican primary voters for three years plus so uh, it makes sense that he's the front runner um but the the number that stood out to me in that poll was the number of undecided voters Mm -hmm. the number of undecided voters had an advantage over even general bulldog or any of the other competitors that tells me the race is still wide open um there's a five way there's really five key five top candidates there's you know general bulldog of course chuck morse the state senate president was right behind him salem republican and then you had uh, the other three filling in, Kevin Smith, Bruce Fenton, Vikram Montramani. Uh, and I talked to him for like three hours to get his name right that. No, I'm just kidding. Hey. <laughs> it was very good. Um, and, th- you know, Chuck, I believe, was, you know, just over, just over 10%, 10, 11, 12, something around there. And the other three were, you know, staggered a little bit behind there. But with 30, 30 plus percent undecided, the race is right. really wide open. Um, I think if Bullduck was running away with this, I think he would have a much higher percentage than the 32% or 30% that he had. Um, he's been talking to these voters for, for a long time. That might be his, his cap in the primary, the 32%, but that mm-hmm. might be enough to win. If the 35% of undecided right. yeah. split among the other four, then Bullduck yeah. is, the, is the primary winner. So really, for, for somebody else to, to take on Bullduck, who's the clear front runner, who is the, the presumed... He, he could be presumed to win uh, unless all of those undecided voters coalesce around one candidate. And I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen right now. The other four are out there making their case all over the state. We'll see what happens. Uh, recently, uh, Governor Sununu made this, uh, the assertion that General Bolduck was not a quote-unquote serious candidate. Well, this is probably the only time that we'll see Governor Sununu and Corey Lewandowski agreeing in public on something. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> you know, over true. the over the past couple of years, we've seen Governor Sununu and Corey Lewandowski. Of course, he was the campaign manager for Donald Trump in 2016. Yeah. Um, 
they've they've been at loggerheads for a very long time, and so to see them agree on something is is something. Um, you know, I mean, it, it looks like all the forces are trying to to rally around anybody but Bulldog. We'll see if the primary voters have any of that. If they're if they're listening to Sunu, if they're listening to Corey Lewandowski, and then of course there's always the coveted Donald Trump endorsement. With 14 days to go, if if he were to weigh in on on one of the other candidates or yep. even General Bolduck, I think that would certainly have an impact in this race going forward. And you know, Governor Sununu himself has not made an endorsement in the race. If he were to make an endorsement and Donald Trump were to make an endorsement, especially if they were the same candidate, I think that that could really tip the scales. And I, I think the Donald Trump endorsement certainly carries a lot of weight. We've seen it in other states, uh, how much uh, weight it does carry still, despite all that's been uh, going on recently and, and even in the past. But the Trump endorsement means a whole lot. Of course, uh, he did not. Uh, endorse General Bolduck the last time around. He went with uh, Corky. That's correct. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and and Corky wound up uh, getting the uh, the Republican nomination anyway, but uh, did not fare well in the general election. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens this time around. But I, I don't I don't really get the assertion from Sununu and Lewandowski as to the fact that Bolduck is not a, a serious candidate. I don't think anybody's, you know, you mentioned he's been on the trail for three and a half years. He's done uh, many more, probably more, you know, uh, at town meetings than any of the other candidates combined. Uh, I, I think that makes him a serious candidate. I, I absolutely think that, you know, when he's out there talking to the, the actual Republican primary voters, he's talking to the activists, he's on the ground, he's listening to people. And over the last three years, he's gotten much, much better at this. I, I met him three, three and a half years ago, and I was a little perplexed. Um, and over that time, I've seen him progress as a candidate. He's gotten a lot more serious on certain issues. He's, he's really learned a lot. Um, and he's talking to the people. He, you know, he's got a very, very strong, loyal following. Um, so we'll see if he can carry that through the primary and make himself successful. Well, it'll, it, well, we'll have a determination on how successful he has been. 101, two weeks from today, uh, when the primary is held throughout the Granite State. Our guest today, Christopher Maidment, a, a political activist and former journalist. But he still has views, ideas, and opinions to share with us here on WKXL. It is Kale and Company live on WKXL and streaming around the world and around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. Stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back, Kale and Company Live for this Tuesday. And if you missed any of that first segment with our guest Christopher Maidment, well, shame on you, first of all. But if you want to hear it again or if you missed it, uh, we'll repeat repeat it tonight at uh, 7.05 or thereabouts right here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. And uh, our producer Kat will post it on uh, nhtalkradio.com if you want to hear it at your leisure. You can uh, uh, do that as, as well. So many ways to listen to uh, WKXL and uh, nhtalkradio.com. Uh, so I'm going to give you a true or false. Governor Chris Sununu will run for president in 2024. Ooh, ooh. I'm going to say false. Okay. I'm going to go with false. Okay. Um, 
I, I think, you know, he does certainly enjoy being the, the chief executive. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's we, we saw that when he decided not to run for right. the United exactly. States Senate. Yeah. Um, and he really trashed him while, while not doing it. He was like, I don't want to go down there and do nothing for two years and get nothing accomplished. Um, he has more work I think he wants to accomplish here in New Hampshire. Uh, what he does after that, I think, will be really interesting. I think, you know, he, he's constantly talking about how his family believes in, you know, tithing your time. He's given, uh, at this point, six years as governor. He did a uh, few terms on the executive council prior to that. Um, so he'll be at more than a decade of service to New Hampshire in, in public, as a public official. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, two more years as, as governor, I think if he accomplishes a lot of what he wants to accomplish, he could, you know, follow his, his brother's route. After being a U.S. senator, he went on to serve on various boards and various charities, and he, and he did a lot of things in the private sector again. Um, or he could follow uh, a route like his father and, and go down to D.C. in, in a, some capacity. Perhaps it could be a secretary role, or maybe he's angling for a vice presidential pick. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't see him running for for president. You know, you have a semi semi liberal, mostly moderate, um, very popular governor. When you put your hat in the ring for president, you lose a lot of that popularity. You know, you, I always say this to people, you know, Oprah could run for president and she, you know, right now she has maybe an 80% approval rate. Everybody loves Oprah, right? Well, if she runs for president tomorrow, she's going to lose half of that immediately, right? Because she has to pick a party label. She has to stand for something. Um, and I think Governor Sununu enjoys being popular. I think he enjoys being well-liked. Uh, and I think he enjoys accomplishing something. So perhaps as a secretary or, or a vice presidential pick, but I, I just don't see it. And I I could be wrong. He has proven me wrong before. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens there. I, I just say that just, you know, based on, you know, a number of things, uh, many of the things you outlined. But because of the fact that it, it appears anyway, as if he is trying to increase his national exposure. I mean, uh, two weeks ago, uh, he was on Fox News Sunday. This past week, he was on CNN uh, in extended interviews. And so I, I, you know, it just seems that, uh, you know, he's, you know, more out there than he has been in the past. Yeah, over the past year, maybe two years even, I guess since the start of COVID, he's really uh, done a lot of national media. He's been around the country. He's been speaking with other GOP governors in various states. He's gone to various summits and various uh, get you know get togethers of political elites um, so anything could happen of course you know he is building his national profile um, but I think he has a lot of success in New Hampshire yeah to no doubt. to advertise I think you know we, yeah. we have one of the best economies in the country one of the fastest growing economies in the country one of the lowest unemployment rates and I think he has a lot of knowledge to share with other various states on how they can improve and how they can you know follow the New Hampshire advantage and kind of do what we're doing here were you surprised at all that uh, he did not run for Senate against uh, Maggie Hassan? I was I was surprised. I had uh, several close colleagues telling me repeatedly, uh, he's not going to do it, he's not going to do it, he's going to run for governor. And I, I thought they were crazy. And then, you know, he had that announcement at the Bridges House that day, and I think it was in December last year. And uh, I was shocked. I was. I was surprised. I, you know, that late in the game, I thought for sure, well, he's he's got to do it because he's, you know, the field has been cleared for him, um, except for General Bulldog, who continued to run. Uh, and then he decided not to do it. And I think uh, a lot of GOP folks in the state were very surprised because the field had been cleared for him. He basically, you know, had a, a free runway to, to run all the way to November um, through the primary right to November. I think if, you know, if he decided to do it 
it would he would have easily won the primary. I think he would have been a very very serious challenger to Senator Hassan in November. Uh, so I, I do think it surprised a lot of people, especially the way that he did it. Um, you know, kind of dissing on on DC Republicans and the the Senate as a whole, and um, I think it surprised a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, including me. Yeah, oh no, I think it surprised uh, more people than it did not surprise, uh, for sure. E- even though some of your insiders were telling you that he probably would not run, I think the general consensus was that he would. But and I think, as you said, he would have been easily the Republican shoe in for the uh, uh, opportunity to run against uh, Maggie Hassan in, in November. But it did not uh, play out that way. And he is seeking another uh, two-year term as governor. And it would appear, it would appear anyway, uh, Christopher Maidment, uh, that uh, that he, he may be a shoe-in for that, uh, that office again. I think the odds are <laughs> very high. Uh, he does have, you know, three Republican primary challengers this time. Uh, two years ago, it was just one. It was Karen Testerman uh, decided to challenge him in the primary. She, mm. she attained something about 9%. Uh, with the three this year, I mean, I, I see him getting at least at least sixty percent of the vote in the primary, much to the chagrin of some political activists in the state who he who may or may not have angered. But um, I think it's it's pretty clear the Republican primary voters, you know, by every indication at, at large, hold him in very high regards, and they think he's doing a very good job as governor. But there are some mainstream Republicans out there who have, uh, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know separated themselves a little bit from uh, Governor Sununu at this point. Why Why is that? Well, there, there's a number of issues, and, you know, we've seen this over the six years he's been governor. He he is a uh, very socially moderate, socially liberal Republican, very fiscally conservative, very good fiscally, very good on firearms, very good on a lot of issues. But there's certain social issues that a lot of hardcore conservative Republicans take very personally when when he opposes them. For example, the parental uh, rights bill that came up this spring in the House of Representatives, uh, they, there was a very, <laughs> there was a big kerfuffle because Senator, uh, Governor Sununu, I'm sorry, wait, I got sidetracked there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip there. Yes, yeah. uh, Governor Sununu, um, you know, publicly was, was opposing this bill while the conservatives in the House were trying to pass it. And, uh, Every time, you know, this this happens periodically on various issues. Uh, the, the the hardcore Republican activists in the state tend to take that personally and as an affront to their to what they believe a Republican is, and uh, I think they hold that against him. And I think their memories live long. I mean, the, you know, it goes back a number of years with certain transgender bathroom bills, with um, abortion. Uh, you know, we last year the the House and the Senate passed in the budget a 24 week abortion ban, and immediately Governor Sununu, after he signed it, came out and said, "I'm I'm looking, I I will I'm open to make changes to this, to to put loopholes in there, uh, to to allow people to get one after 24 mm-hmm. weeks in certain yeah. circumstances." Right. And so you get pro life groups and conservative groups and you know liberty groups and they all have uh, various issues with certain issues that he that he stands for um that they that they hold on to yeah uh so what what kind of an impact uh have the free staters that have moved uh, into new hampshire from other states uh, had on on the granite state well i mean most notably and most recently is the uh the gun stock debacle right um i didn't follow it too closely i you know belknap county's got 
some interesting interesting things going on there. But I think overall, um, free staters have had a very very positive impact on uh, economic policy as well as certain other policies. You know, constitutional carry uh, was the first bill Governor Sununu signed into law in 2017. Um, that they had been trying that for for years on years on years, going back to 2011 at least. And uh, finally, in 2017, there were two dozen free staters in the House. They got it over the finish line. Governor Sununu signed it, signed it as his first law. And then, of course, that's also the same year um, that free staters and Freedom Caucus members in the House got together and... Continue. Yes, that's <laughs> so, my fault. Yeah, free staters <laughs> and Freedom, Freedom Caucus members in 2017 got together and they were able to, to kill... Uh, Sean Sean Jasper, he was a speaker at the time. They killed the budget in the House because it spent too much money, and that was the first year, the first time in you know at, at least recent history that the House didn't pass a budget. The Senate had to start over. They brought the Freedom Caucus to the table. They said, "All right, what does a good budget look like to you, and how can we make this work?" So I think over the you know over the arch of everything, they've they've helped economic policy in New Hampshire. They've helped various gun policy. They're really trying to get government out of the way so that Grand Estaters can live, live free or die. The goal was 20,000, I think, originally, right? There's about 6,500 uh, in the state right now. 6,500 that have volunteer- volunteered that they moved here. Right. But, of it, course, it, with libertarians, they won't tell you anything. No, so uh, it could be much more point. than that. That's a good point. Christopher Maidment is here. Christopher, a political activist and former journalist. Right here on uh, Kale and Company Live on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in uh, Concord and vicinity, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Still lots to discuss here on this Tuesday morning. Don't you go away. We shall return. It is Kale and Company Live. It is a Tuesday. It is a delight to have you along with us. Our guest on the program today is political activist and former journalist Christopher Maidment, although we're, we're getting him to put on his journalist hat a little bit today and uh, talk about some of the things going on politically uh, in this state and uh, beyond. And uh, A few weeks ago now, there was that uh, big raid at uh, Mar-a-Lago, and, uh, of course, the, the nation, again, divided on, on that issue for the most part. But is that, uh, that going to help in the long run, help Donald Trump? Or is it a, a detriment to, to Trump, uh, what happened at Mar-a-Lago? I suppose that depends on what, what context. Um, I think this year, you know, I think it certainly motivated Republicans more than they were already motivated. I think they see political uh you know the political reasons for it at the uh, Department of Justice. You know we, we saw this in 2016 a little bit with you know Jim Comey. First it came out with the oh Hillary's under investigation. Oh she's been cleared. Oh now we have this 10 days before the election. Um, and I think the American people want a non-partial Department of Justice. I think that's the be- one of the bedrocks of American beliefs is that the Department of you know Justice is fair and equal. It is blind. Uh, and when it, when you see something, I mean, an unprecedented raid on a former president, not even two years after he's left office, and then they come out with this the the warrant, right, the affidavit, and very much redacted, <laughs> very yes. very yeah, much yeah, redacted. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And I think a lot of people ha- have started to distrust 
the FBI, the Department of Justice, the, the government at large, um, you know, with the 87,000 new IRS agents, and now we have the DOJ rating Trump. I think, you know, your average everyday American is saying, well, wait a minute, if they can do this to a former president, what are they going to do to me when I do something they don't like? And, you know, it's been an escalating cause of, I think, distrust with especially Republican voters, but certainly I think independent voters too, um, where they're saying, you know, there's certain branches, there's certain factions of the government that will use the government against their political enemies. And that's uh, the uncharted territory for America, at least in recent times. Um, you know, we, we've had these public, very public investigations back and forth for forever. You know, Bill Clinton with the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yeah. And then, you know, Ronald Reagan with Iran-Contra and uh, George Bush with WMDs and then Hillary Clinton with Benghazi. Of course, I mean, the, the very public. Hillary with her emails. <laughs> Hillary and, yeah, with her emails yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Donald Trump with Russia. I mean, uh, these all play out very publicly, usually in the House of Representatives. And it's all political theater, by and large, for the most part. Um this, this, I think, takes it to a new level where, they, where they're using the FBI to actively uh, search and raid uh, a former president's house. I think it's, it's unprecedented. I don't think the American people are going to stand for the politicization of that branch. Yeah, and uh, you know, on, along those uh, same lines, uh, an FBI agent uh, just resigned recently over the last uh, couple of days after scrutiny now over the Hunter Biden laptop cover-up, which mm -hmm. was brought to light by Mark Zuckerberg recently, that the FBI tipped him off that there was going to be some Russian, Russian disinformation coming down the pike. So keep it out of Facebook, right? Uh, so And now uh, the FBI uh, has uh, you know, announced the resignation of, uh, of one of their agents who was involved in that. And uh, so I, I think there's a tremendous amount of, of distrust right now. Uh, in the FBI and the DOJ, the Department of Justice. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, it's only going to serve to motivate, you know, Republican Republican voters for sure. It's going to motivate any independents or undeclared voters that, that had a predisposition to distrust the government. Now they're probably even more motivated to, to say, oh, we, we need something to change here. We need, you know, normalcy. We need a, a fair and impartial judiciary uh, and a justice system that's that's fair and impartial. And I think... It's really going to motivate those folks to go out and vote, and it's probably not going to be for the, the party in charge, which right now, of course, is the Democrats. Right now it is, uh, obviously, with, uh, you know, they, they control the Oval Office. I mean, I know we have a 50-50 split in the Senate right now, but uh, Kamala Harris will have the deciding vote on anything that may be tied. And, but, and, a, and a small advantage in the House of Representatives for the Democrat side. Is, is there a possibility that uh, the House could flip? The, uh, nationally, yeah. I, uh, nationally yes. I think it's a very, very yeah. good chance that the House flips Republican. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I had to bet on the Senate whether or not that's going to flip, I'd probably put it as a toss-up. Mm. I think it could yeah. go either way with a number of factors. We saw uh, Georgia, of course, there's a, a, another Senate election this year. There were two Senate elections two years ago right. to fill a vacancy. They, they lead the league in Senate <laughs> senatorial elections, yes. So there's yeah. another one yeah. there this year. It's uh, Raphael Warnock. Um, he, he's been there for two years now. I think, you know, I mean, in 2020, all the pressure was on Georgia in the runoffs after November 6th. 
And then for two months, every, all eyes were on Georgia. And of course, Democrats won both of those seats. I think there's going to be a lot of focus again on Georgia and, and what happens there because it only takes the Republicans need to flip one seat and hold all the others to take control. I, I think I'd put it as a toss up if I were a betting man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 50 50 right now. So uh, we, we shall see what happens. Uh, what about the, the uh, another issue that is of uh, major concern here in the, the Granite State is our first-in-the-nation primary status, which uh, seems uh, every four years is, is threatened, uh, and now there are, there are more threats. Uh, will New Hampshire be the first primary state when the 2024 primary season rolls around? Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, we will be first. I mean, we'll we'll have our election the way our state law prescribes. Yeah. Secretary of State Scanlon yeah. absolutely has the uh, the legal authority and the legal requirement to move our primary at least a week before any similar contest. So that means uh, we'll we'll be the first primary without a doubt. The question will be whether or not the DNC mm-hmm. changes their rules and penalizes Democrat contenders for coming here, which would be within their power as a party to do that. So we'll, we'll have the Republicans. I mean, every Republican that is, you know, even floated as a as a mention for possible contender yep. has said, yes, New Hampshire will be first. Yes, we'll be here. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, and Tom, many of them have been here. Yep. Tom yep. Cotton, Mike Pence, Mike yep. Pompeo, yep. Larry Hogan. Uh, all of these. Uh, Larry Hogan's in the state today, as a matter of fact, for a Republican fundraiser. Yeah. They've all said, yes, New Hampshire will be first unequivocally. So the Republicans will have their primary here. Will the Democrats nationally mm-hmm. penalize Democratic candidates for coming to New Hampshire? That, how, how would they do that? They can change the rules of their party because the party has ultimate say over their, their own primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could change the rules so that delegates from New Hampshire don't count if you come here for first in the nation. They could change the rules to say you're not going to get our access to our voter lists if you come to first in the nation. They could change. They could. Do a, uh, they could sanction you certain certain ways. Um, so there's a whole number of things they could do to disincentivize any Democrat candidates or any Democrat potentials from coming to New Hampshire for first in the nation. But the Republicans will absolutely be here. Now, we, you, you threw out a number of Republican uh, hopefuls for the 2024 nomination. Of course, there's still uh, Donald Trump in the wings, and we don't know exactly what He's going to do, although he's given us really every indication that he is going to run again. So how does that change things? When, when he finally decides to throw his hat in the ring, how does that change things for the other Republican hopefuls right now? Uh, I think it, it makes, obviously, it makes it a much higher uh, barrier for them. And I think uh, most of them, if they're smart, if they're, you know, I think Donald Trump will run away with the primary. Very, very. I think immediately he would be the presumptive nominee. Um, you know, as the former president, as still very, very popular in Republican circles, he would be the presumptive nominee. And I don't think it would be, you know, wise for a lot of Republicans to to challenge him. But I do think that a, a healthy primary, a very vigorous primary, is good for all candidates involved. So if we, you know, if you get somebody that's a little bit more conservative than Trump or a little bit more libertarian, maybe, uh, if they stay in the race a little bit longer, you know, similar to Ted Cruz did in 2016. Yeah. Um, and then you get, you know, Rand Paul also ran in 2016. But when he pivoted, he became friends with Trump so that he could influence his policy positions. I think he did a very good job at that. Ted Cruz, Mike Lee, both similar. Um, 
so I think you know what, what most of those other contenders would be doing at that point is angling for a vice presidential slot mm-hmm. or cabinet picks. Um, and I think that's what I think it would pretty much clear the field. I think uh, a few people would stay in the primary just to boost their national profile, um, especially if they're anti-Trumpers or never Trumpers. There's uh, certainly a faction of that in the Republican Party still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of them would, would then be pivoting for the various positions around Trump and his influence of power. What, what percent would you put on a uh, Trump run right now? Here on the penultimate day of August, I'd have to I'd have to go with 50-50 again. I mean, 50-50. 50-50. I, wow. I think if he were definitely going to do it, we might know by now. He might be, you know, waiting to see how things shake out in the midterms, and then, you know, if, if things shake out well in the midterms and and the wind is at his back, I think certainly he'll consider it. All right, that's Christopher Maidment. He's a political activist, former journalist, and uh, he is our guest this morning. On Kale and Company Live on WKXL, the show will be repeated this evening at around uh, 7.05 here on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Time for a break. Heading down the home stretch on this Tuesday, back with our final segment right after these words. So don't you dare go away. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide around around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. Political activist and former journalist Christopher Maidment is with us in studio today, making the trek from beautiful Peterborough, uh, New Hampshire, where he's got, uh, what, nine puppies? Nine. nine. Uh, i got to turn your mic on. <laughs> yeah, uh, nine idea. puppies, two adult Goldens, one yeah. adult Black Lab, two oh. adult Maine Coon Cats, and three little children, five and under. Wow. Wow. But, a, but, I, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is he has acres and acres of property out there, so he has plenty of room to do it. Right? Yeah, ni- <laughs> 19 acres on a little dead-end road. So. <laughs> there you go. So Christopher Maidman is with us. We asked him the, the uh, chances he thought that uh, Donald Trump would run for president come uh, 2024. So I'm going to ask you about the current chief executive, uh, Joe Biden. What are the chances Joe Biden's going to run in 2024 for re-election? Oh, I think very, very, very small, very low, very low percentage. I think, um, you know, he proved it. He did it. Um, I think I think the Democrat across the country um, have been dissatisfied with him mostly, at least until he started doing the things that he had promised uh, recently, like the student loan forgiveness and and certain things. Um, but I think that there might be an appetite for younger, fresher um, blood over there on that side. And I think, uh, you know, if he wanted to go out right off into the sunset, he's certainly served his time down in D.C., He's you know, decades and decades. I think it's more than four decades now oh, of, yeah. of service. Easily, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think if he if he wanted to, to quote on a quote-unquote high note, you know, he was, he was president, he won, and if he wanted to pass the torch on to somebody younger, I think there would certainly be an appetite for that in the Democrat side of the things. Um, you know, Secretary Buttigieg is, is very popular here in New Hampshire. I believe he won the 20, uh, 2020 First in the Nation Democrat primary here. Uh, it was very close between him and uh, Senator Sanders. Um, so I, I think somebody like Secretary Buttigieg could step up or, or another younger, fresher, uh, more progressive Democrat for sure. 
Uh, do we know yet who won the Iowa caucuses in uh, in 2020? I, I think we'll, <laughs> we might find out by 2028. We, if, yeah. if there is one, uh, if there is an Iowa caucus in 2028, or even 2024 for that matter. Uh, but uh, we, we'll see about that in the future. So who's the bench uh, for the Democrats? I mean, the Republicans have a very deep bench if Trump decides not to run. I mean, they have a very, very deep bench. Who do the Democrats have? Uh, well, uh, you mentioned Buttigieg. Yeah, aside, yeah. aside from Secretary Buttigieg, I think uh, 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 Vice President Kamala Harris would certainly be interested in uh, moving up a rank. Um, beyond that, I think you know Gavin Newsom from from California has certainly been a rising star. Kathy Kathy Hochul from New York, I'm sure, fancies herself as a future presidential contender. Um, and then there's uh, beyond that, I think there's a there's probably a number of Democrats that would come out of the woodwork uh, that are in various positions, whether, whether it's Senator, um, you know, maybe Kristen Sinema from, from Arizona, um, maybe, geez, possibly Joe Manchin from West Virginia. He's certainly made a yeah. name for himself over the past few years as a, as a, as a kingmaker on either side of the right. aisle. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that would be a very vigorous, vigorous primary heading into 2024 should President Biden decide not to run again. Yeah, I think it would be uh, very vigorous. And, of course, uh, Kamala Harris was pretty much out of it even before the New Hampshire primary last time around. She she was. She pulled up roots. Uh, it was a week or two before the New Hampshire primary. She ended up finishing ninth here because she left so early. And Granite Staters really don't like when, when candidates give them the cold shoulder. Um, of course, President Biden finished fifth in New Hampshire that year and ended up president. So, uh, you know, who's to say on, on that side of the aisle what matters? Um but, you know, Senator Harris at the time was not very popular in New Hampshire, failed to make a connection on the ground here, feel, failed to, to do the retail politics the way Granite Staters expect most candidates to do that. Uh, and that, that showed in her poll results, and that showed obviously in her, her ninth place finish and leaving before the first in the nation. Uh, in my opinion, the uh, best Democratic uh, candidate last time around went pretty much nowhere, hung in there probably longer than, than most of them did. But uh, I thought Tulsi Gabbard was a great candidate. I, I, I agree. I agree. And she, she very wisely, she had a very finite number of resources. Of course, she had alienated the DNC in 2016 uh, when she chose to back Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. Um, so the Clinton machine, you know, went after her. She had a very finite number of resources, but she invested her resources in New Hampshire. She, I, I believe she rented a house here for a number I of months. I believe so, yeah. Um, she was hanging out. She was going to all the right places. She was talking to both sides of the aisle. I know she had a, a number of fans on on the libertarian side of mm -hmm. things. She had a number of fans on the Republican side for of sure. things. Yeah. Um, we, we ran into her in 2020, uh, just before the first in the nation primary, after the annual GOP meeting up in Meredith. She popped into the uh, American Legion up there and was hanging around hanging yeah. around with a bunch of Republicans. Right. Um, yeah. So she's a very personable, very likable. Yeah. She takes a number of moderate stances. She still has a number of progressive stances, of course, but she, she's, she, she speaks truth uh, to power. She doesn't toe the party line all the time. And I think that could hurt her in a Democrat primary. And I think that's what did hurt her yeah. in a Democrat primary. Um, but, you know, positioning herself for a in it for a general election, especially in places like New Hampshire, I think that's the, the right strategy. She has a number of moderate positions, right positions, left positions. Um, she takes a lot of common sense positions all over the place. But I highly doubt if she'll be back in 2024. I, I don't think that's a possibility. Uh, 
I, I was really disappointed uh, to see that uh, you know she did not do as well as she did. I, a very, very impressive woman, uh, without question, and with a great military background as well. Uh, I thought she far and away was the, the best candidate the Democrats had, and they blew it. They yep. blew it, for sure. There's, there's no doubt about that. I know they ultimately won the presidency, but they, they blew it, folks. So we uh, there's so many things to touch on here, uh, but we have not touched very much, and we're sitting here in District 2, and we haven't even touched on uh, the congressional race in District 2, uh, where you have, uh, to a lot of people, uh, some unknown candidates. Uh, and uh, how do you analyze that? You, you talked about uh, you know the fact that there were so many undecideds uh, in the senatorial race in the Republican primary, so many undecided voters, even more uh, undecided voted voters in the uh, District 2 Republican uh, primary race. Yeah, it seems like just about everybody in, in District 2 was undecided in the last poll that came out. Right, yeah. Um, Bob Burns has been a perennial candidate. He ran for Congress two years ago. He ran for yep. Congress four years ago. Um, he hasn't won in a, in a congressional primary yet. Um, this year, I, th- he, I think he believes that he is the front runner. Um, lately, the Democrats, uh, by all appearances, have been putting out mail for him. There's a mail shop in Massachusetts mm-hmm. that sent out two, quote unquote, illegal mailers, at least two, uh, painting Bob Burns as the pro-Trump candidate. And I think in, in CD2, the North Country, I think a lot of voters up there are very, very pro-Trump. Um, I think that could help him. The unknown, uh, Lily Tang Williams, she she has run for Senate before in Colorado as a libertarian. She moved to New Hampshire four years ago, largely unknown in the 2nd Congressional District. She does have a very empowering story. She fled uh, communist China. 33 years ago, I believe, 1988, I think is what she said, uh, came to America for freedom, and she's been fighting for freedom ever since. And then there's George Hansel, the, the mayor of Keene, yeah. um, yeah. who who I think fancies himself more along the lines of Governor Sununu. Of course, Governor Sununu endorsed him. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's positioning himself as a middle-of-the-road Republican, a, one of those, you know, a Governor Sununu kind of Republican, which may play well in a general against Annie Custer, but I don't know if it's enough to get him over the finish line in a Republican primary. Yeah, the uh, poll numbers on that were very close, but yet all, I think, in single digits. Uh, when uh, St. Anselm uh, announced their last poll a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so how do you handicap that one? Uh, I mean, Burns has been trying for the post longer than either of the other two candidates. But is he the most high profile? Ah, man, Uh, you know... it depends on which circles you're, you know, Lily Tang Williams has been on Tucker Carlson. She's been on Tim Pool's show. Mm-hmm. She's been yeah. on, a, on a number of national media outlets trying to spread her name and, and right. raise awareness for her. Um, with the mail coming out recently, you know, if, if it, it all it all comes down to the last 14 days, well, the last 13 days, there's 13 yeah. days left to convince, down the, whole convince the voters. Yeah. Uh, if Bob Burns can position himself as the pro-Trump candidate, as the one, the only pro-Trump conservative candidate, I think I would handicap him as the front runner. Um, if Hansel can uh, establish his conservative bona fides, um, I think he would have a shot at it. Um, I think it might be tough for him with the attacks coming from both uh, Lily and Bob over his you know, his conservative resume. He is the mayor of Keene, after all. It's a very, it's not a very conservative city, as, as you and I both <laughs> right. know. Uh, and for, um, for a Republican to be mayor of Keene, I mean, that's an yeah. upset right there. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think if he can uh, establish his conservative 
uh, resume. He might have a shot at it. And then, of course, Lilly is is angling for the the Liberty Republicans, uh, small government, libertarian-leaning folks. Um, but uh, it's anybody's game at this point. I think if I had to if I had to bet today, I think Bob Burns might edge it out and come out on top. Um, but I think it's going to be a very close race coming down the home stretch. I don't think that option is available on DraftKings, though. I, I don't think I don't think they have the uh, district two well, Republican primary. You got to go to uh, uh, pre- predict it. Predict yeah. it is the political. Predict it. Yeah. Okay, predict it. All right. So you hear the music. So much we left on the table here today, but uh, great information from Christopher Maidment, political activist. He calls himself a uh, recovering journalist, but he could he could jump right back into the journalism world in a second, if he, if he so chose. But he's too busy, too busy for that. Christopher, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. So that'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. If you want to hear the show again, and, and why wouldn't you, it's uh, 7 o'clock tonight, just a little after the 7 o'clock news with uh, AJ here on WKXL. 1450 AM, 103.9 in the Capital Region, 101.9 in Manchester and beyond, and nhtalkradio.com. Make it a great Tuesday, everybody.